Okay. Good, good morning. Good morning again, everybody. Um, I, uh, I, checked my, I checked my phone there, and I have about 20 messages from people saying, the sound's not working. Um, so we are hopeful that the sound is now working. So I'm going to try again with welcome to those of you in the room, welcome those in the cafe, welcome, hopefully, this time, uh, those of you at home as well. Uh, we have taken a little pause and haven't started our sermon yet, so hopefully everybody is now ready to gather around God's word. Um, so we are we're in week three of our little mini-series, uh, thinking about the essentials of what it means to be the church. Um, I, I want to read, first of all, our, kind of our key verse for this series, which is uh, from uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, these four things that the early Christians were devoted to, which means passionately committed to. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Okay, so th those are our four things. And um, we're going to be zooming in this week on number three. So I want to read also just a few verses later. Um, it says this in verse 46. It says, They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Um, so those are kind of our, our two verses that we're going to reflect on this morning. Um, so we're thinking about the breaking of bread. Um, maybe worth saying straight away that the language of breaking bread um, can refer to simply sharing a meal together. Uh, some people use the phrase like that even today. Um, to break bread with someone is to share a meal with them, um, which is obviously a really important aspect of the fellowship that we were talking about last week. Eating together is really important. Um, but whenever it talks about the breaking of bread um, uh, as one of the four essentials of church life, um, I think there's good reason to think it's speaking about something more specific than just any meal that we share. Um, it's, it's talking about sharing bread and wine, as Jesus asked his disciples to do. And different Christians in different denominations have used different names for that meal. Um, uh, some call it the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist. Um, but in the New Testament, most simply, it's called the breaking of bread. That's the, the really simple uh, kind of name for it. Um, there's evidence that in the early church, this often happened as part of a shared meal uh, that was known as an agape feast or a love feast. Um, and so actually... The line between communion and sharing a meal was a little more blurred in the early church. Uh, some people think that would be a good thing to recover in the church today. Don't know what, don't know what you think. Um, so in verse 46, when it talks about breaking bread in their homes, it may be referring to eating dinner together. It may be referring to sharing the Lord's Supper together. I, I like to think it's talking about both, that in their homes they were sharing food together often, and they were also often pausing to share bread and wine in memory of Jesus. So um, that's kind of just a little introduction to the language of breaking bread. Um, I wonder, do you find this essential a little more surprising than the others? Um, in other words, uh, maybe we can't imagine a church without the Bible, the apostles' teaching. We, we can't imagine the church without fellowship, We've got to have kind of relationship to each other. Um, 
We can't imagine the church without prayer. But I wonder, can you imagine a church without sharing bread and wine? Um, Maybe lockdown in recent months have actually raised this as a live question. And maybe you find yourself wondering, what what am I missing if I can't share in, in the bread and wine with my fellow Christians? Can I live without it? Is, would I miss it if it was gone? Uh, or, or would I get, get along um, just fine? Um, I'd love you to think about kind of your, your honest thought about that. Um, would you have thought of this as one of the four essentials of church life? Um, but maybe what I, I want to suggest is this, that placing the breaking of bread at the center of our church life, of our life together, is a way of making sure that the gospel is at the center of our life together. Um, Because the bread and wine tells the story of Jesus. Don't know if you ever think about the bread and wine as speaking, but I I think it it tells a story. It speaks about his death and resurrection. It speaks about his body broken and his blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the bread and wine speak of. And so every time we share bread and wine together, we tell that story again. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, as it says in 1 Corinthians. Um, And so putting the bread and wine at the center is about putting the gospel at the center, saying this is the heart of our faith. Um, I actually love the fact that even in the English language, the cross uh, has entered the English language. Uh, there, There are reminders in the English language of the centrality of the cross. So when we say something is the crux of the matter, that's the word for the cross. That's a, because the cross is the center of our faith, our life, our church life, of the universe, of history, right? When we use the word crucial, when we say something is really crucial, that's, the word, that's from the word for the cross, uh, the crucifixion. And so even in the English language, there's a reminder that the center of everything is the cross. And so as you and I gather each Sunday and the bread and wine are here and visible, it's a really simple reminder before we even say anything of what lies at the center of our lives. It's a way of saying this is what holds us together. This is what keeps us afloat. This is what gives us hope both for life and for death. It's the cross of Christ. It's the good news of Jesus. Um, The bread and wine is a way of saying my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? That, that's why the bread and wine are at the center um, of all that we do in our church life. Um, the gospel is what gives our life together its power. Um, it says in Romans 1 very famously, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who believes. So when the gospel is not at the heart of our life together, we lose our power we become weak. Um, and if you think about the other three essentials, uh, by kind of the apostles teaching fellowship and prayer, you could think about how all three of those actually lose their power when Jesus and the gospel are not at the center. So our Bible reading can kind of end up meandering all over the place, down all kinds of highways and byways and interesting, fa- fascinating pathways But unless it brings us again and again to Jesus and again and again to the cross, it lacks power, it lacks bite, it lacks uh, 
impact in our lives. Um, or think about our, our fellowship, our life together. Um, our fellowship can become kind of bland if it's just a bunch of nice people trying to be nice to each other, right? And you are a lovely bunch of people. But if that's all we are, our fellowship becomes kind of watery and bland. The power of our fellowship is in Jesus and his cross because he has reconciled us to God and to each other. That's where the power is in our fellowship. Um, and if you think about prayer, our prayers can also become kind of bland and vague if it's just kind of mumbling some half-hearted wishes to a God who's kind of far away. But when we remember that Jesus on the cross has torn the veil and we can now enter directly into the presence of God and call him Father as his dearly loved children, which is what the, 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 the gospel proclaims to us, then our prayers have, as I might say, oomph. <laughs> they have power, they have bite, right? I wonder, can you see that it's the gospel, it's the cross, it's the good news of Jesus that gives power to all the other things that we do in our life together. And so our commitment, our devotion is not just to Bible reading and fellowship and prayer, but to Jesus-centered Bible reading and gospel-centered fellowship and cross-centered prayer, right? And so putting the bread and wine at the center makes sure it's a reminder to us constantly. Let's keep Jesus at the center. Let's keep the gospel at the center. Let's keep the cross as the crucial thing, as the crux of the matter uh, at the center. Um, I wonder... Um, I want to I zoom in on this little phrase. They broke bread in their homes. Um, and I want to ask you, I wonder how you found it sharing bread and wine at home during lockdown, if you, if you did that, if you, if you entered in to doing that. Um, I know some of you have been chatting to me and some of you really loved breaking bread at home. Um, some of you admitted you found it kind of strange and awkward. Um, and actually, there's a sense in which it should what we did during lockdown should feel a little strange and awkward. Uh, why is that? Because communion, the Lord's Supper, is about sharing in something together. And so it feels strange to do it with people far away we can't see. That feels strange. We, we want to be together when we do it. Um, it feels strange, I think, because um, sharing bread and wine is about something embodied that we do. And so it's strange to do it online. Online is a weird place uh, to do communion. And we're glad to be able to do it together again, uh, those of us who are here. Um, I know some of those of you at home are still living with that strangeness, uh, maybe of breaking bread and uh, so, well, being physically away uh, from your brothers and sisters. Um, but so, so that's kind of to say there is something strange about online communion and, uh, and so on. But there are a couple of things that I appreciated about that time during lockdown and breaking bread uh, the way we did. Um, and a couple of things that have kind of been in my mind that I think we can learn from this strange time and maybe carry forward with us. Um, two, two really simple things. One of them was uh, that during that time, we were led in communion by a lot of different people in the fellowship. Um, I, I had a quick uh, add up of them and, and there were 17 different households in the fellowship who led us in communion. Uh, during that period. Um, there were about 40 people in total, including uh, people by themselves, couples doing it together, and families sometimes with the kids leading us in communion. Um, 
And I, I think that's something really uh, beautiful to carry forward with us. Because um, one of the big mistakes we can make with communion is to think that it can only be led by, officiated by, um, special, very spiritual leaders, right? The only people who can lead, lead communion are priests and pastors and elders, uh, those kind of, you know, you know, those kind of people. Um, but actually, this is a meal we share together as family. Um, and actually, in the New Testament, it talks several times about how all of us are priests. You can read about that in 1 Peter 2 or Revelation 1 or Revelation 5. We are a kingdom of priests to serve God. And so you are a priest. The person beside you is a priest. Uh, have a look around the room, a room full of priests. Um, all of us have been given that authority. And so any of us can serve the bread and wine to each other and lead each other uh, to that place. Um, so actually, I've, I've corrected myself because the last few weeks I've been pouring the wine up here at the front and I've enjoyed doing that. But the danger of that is you think only JM can do that or only an elder can do that. And so I've corrected myself and Ruth's going to come and pour the wine this week because um, any of us can do that for each other. Um, so that's one really valuable thing that I think uh, the weirdness of lockdown communion reminded me again and maybe reminded us uh, that we're, we do this as family and any of us can serve uh, communion to each other. Uh, the other thing I really liked uh, as a reminder was that it took communion into our homes. And this, this brings us to this phrase. Um, because as well as communion, uh, it doesn't have to be led by a special leader, but it also doesn't need to happen in a special spiritual place, like a temple or a tabernacle or a church. Uh, you don't need a special table. You don't need special vessels, plates, goblets, whatever. Um, you don't need a special kind of wine or bread. Right? Again, I think this is really important. The gospel is for ordinary life. Jesus died to redeem our ordinary lives, right? And when we share bread and wine at home, I think it reminds us of this. It brings the gospel into our home. It brings the cross into our home. It brings uh, that message into our ordinary lives. And so maybe one thing we can take with us, uh, another thing we can take with us from lockdown 2020, is the practice of at least sometimes sharing communion in our homes. For those of you not yet able to join us uh, in the centre on a Sunday morning, that's going to be something you, you're, you're going to need to do still for a while. Uh, but also for all of us, I think this can be a good practice from time to time. You can share communion in your family. You can share communion in your home group. You can share communion with a few friends. Um, communion in your home brings the gospel into ordinary life. Um, so I wonder, maybe even as I say that, um, that can start to make some of us a little bit nervous because some of us think, oh, communion's kind of a very special thing. And what if I do it wrong? If I was practicing it uh, with my friends or my family, what if I do it wrong? Will I be struck by lightning for blasphemy if I, if I get it wrong? Um, and maybe to kind of help us with that, uh, there are two words that I find really helpful in verse 46 that we read. Um, and again, this could refer to sharing a meal together, but also I think can refer to um, sharing in communion together. And it says, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
Um, and those two words just really help me in thinking about how we approach the bread and wine. Um, first of all, with sincere hearts. Um, in other words, this is not something we want to do flippantly or carelessly. Um, uh, this is not something we want to kind of mumble our way through as an empty ritual. We want it to be meaningful. We want it to be thoughtful. We want it to be sincere. Um, what, what would that mean in practice to approach uh, the Lord's table with sincerity? Um, thinking really practically, for me, it, it might involve uh, these three simple things. Just a moment of quiet. Don't, don't rush into it. Um, take a moment to pause and prepare your heart. Uh, before you come to it. Secondly, a few verses of scripture. Um, there's obviously obvious verses where Jesus gave us the bread and wine, and there's maybe other verses as well that can help us, but a few verses of scripture to shine a light on the meaning of what we're about to do uh, can be really helpful. In, in saying that one, um, I, I also think it's good to say we don't need lots of words around the Lord's table. Uh, we sometimes have a tendency to want to over-explain it. Um, and I, I sometimes am reminded that Jesus could have given us an essay or a sermon and said, read this in remembrance of me. Um, but instead, Jesus in his uh, wisdom gave us bread and wine and said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we need a few words and a few verses of scripture to remind us of the meaning. But we also don't need to clutter what we do with too much of our, our own talking. Um, we can keep it simple. So a moment of quiet, um, a few verses of scripture, and then a prayer of thanks. Every time the bread and wine are mentioned, I think, in, in the New Testament, it talks about giving thanks. Um, and so we give thanks for the bread and wine, but also very especially for what the bread and wine speak of. We're giving thanks for Jesus, for his cross, for his body broken for his blood poured out for amazing grace. That's what we're giving thanks for. Um, and so for me, that's what sincerity might look like. It's just a moment of quiet. Don't rush in. A few words of scripture to remind us of the meaning of what we do and a prayer of thanks. Um, but then I also love that other word that's there. It says they ate with glad hearts as well. Uh, and for me, that's kind of a reminder that Sincerity doesn't have to mean being solemn or gloomy, right? Sometimes we make that mistake. Um, and actually, it's a reminder that joy should be a characteristic note as we share this meal. Um, it's probably worth saying, I, I think it can be really helpful to visit a place of solemnity sometimes as we come to the bread and wine, because we may have a moment where we're re reflecting on the seriousness of our own sin or the cost of our redemption. And so we may visit that place of, of, of something a little sorrowful, and that can be right. But I also think it's really important that that's not where we stay. There's a movement towards joy because Jesus has defeated our sin, right? And there is now no condemnation for those here in Christ. And so we're not to stay in a place of solemnity and sorrow. Joy is to be um, the characteristic note uh, of those who gather around the Lord's table. Um, the, the early Christians um, called this meal the Eucharistia. Um, that's the, it's a, a word that appears uh, in the New Testament a number of times, a Greek word. Um, and Eucharistia literally just means thanksgiving. 
So that, that was their word for the sharing in this meal. It's about gratitude uh, as we gather. Um, but part of why I love the word Eucharistia is in the middle of it, you can see a word you may know, which is the word charis, which means grace. And so right there in the word, it's saying what we are doing here is about gratitude for God's amazing grace. Right? And so that, that's, uh, that's how we gather and how we share uh, in the bread and wine. Uh, we do it with sincerity. We don't want to be flippant. We want, to, we want it to be meaningful, but we also do it with joy um, as those who've been redeemed and set free and forgiven uh, by Jesus. Um, maybe, maybe in thinking about that, I don't know if you remember when you were a child, um, there were, and you visited other people for dinner, maybe friends of your parents, and there were homes that you visited for dinner where you, as a child, you felt really uncomfortable <laughs> and kind of on tenterhooks the whole time and afraid of doing something wrong with your cutlery or whatever. And you, you kind of almost couldn't breathe and you kind of couldn't wait to go home. I don't know if you remember that kind of experience. But there were also homes you visited where you felt completely at home and deeply loved and able to be yourself and able to breathe. And I guess the question that was in my mind was, what way should we feel at the table of the Lord? Right? It's, it's not a flippant thing we do. We want to be serious about it. But it's not a place where you're, we need to be formal and uptight and afraid of getting something wrong. There can be tremendous freedom and joy at the Lord's table as well. Uh, we come as his dearly loved children to do it with sincerity, uh, but do it with joy. Um, and I guess beyond that, um, just coming back to this idea of keeping the gospel at the center, um, we can get very hung up on the other details. Um, you can share in communion as part of a meal or not. We can pass the bread and wine around from hand to hand or come and receive it at the front or we can stand, or we can sit, or we can kneel. Um, I'm not sure those details matter as much as sometimes we uh, get caught up on them. Um, I, I prefer when we can share from one cup, because I like the symbolism of that. I think it's more meaningful. But if current circumstances mean we need to pour it into little cups, uh, the world doesn't end, maybe. Um, uh, I prefer when we can share from one loaf and break it and pass it around. But if current circumstances mean we need to cut it up beforehand. Um, again, it doesn't take away from the gospel that the bread and wine are pointing to. It doesn't matter what kind of bread we share or what kind of wine. And if real wine is a stumbling block for you or those you're sharing with, then use grape juice. We can get very hung up on these details, but it's about keeping the gospel at the center. Um, and I guess I find myself thinking that this meal is an expression of our unity in Jesus. And so it's really sad when communion of all things becomes a bone of contention or something that we argue about or something that we fall out with each other about. Um, I think it may be one of the enemy's most devilish tricks to get Christians to fall out with each other over the bread and wine, which point to the cross, which makes our peace. <laughs> right? Is there not something re really deeply sad about that when that happens? Um, so don't get distracted by minor details. Let the bread and wine point you to Jesus and his cross and his death and resurrection and his amazing grace in which we all stand. Um, we're going to, um, in the week ahead, uh, I'm going to send out a couple of little practical things to you. 
uh, to maybe help you to keep thinking about these things. Uh, one of them is just some practical guidance. If you are ever sharing communion in your home with your family, with your home group, um, a, little bit of, a little bit of what we've talked about this morning, a, li a little bit of guidance uh, for how to do that. Uh, one of them is about talking to your kids about communion. Um, I love the way that some of the families in doing communion online included the kids in the videos. I loved seeing the kids involved. Um, in MCF, we leave it to the parents to decide when your kids are ready to participate in the bread and wine, uh, when that's meaningful for them. Um, but whether they participate or not, I think it's really good for them to be present when we share the bread and wine. Um, and there's a verse that I love uh, in Exodus 12. Um, it's talking about when, when God's people in the Old Testament shared in the Passover meal together, um, uh, which was their meal that they, they gathered around. Um, and it says, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. <laughs> it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes. And so it's, a, it's actually an opportunity to tell the story to the kids because kids are curious and they're inquisitive and they want to know why you're doing this weird thing together. Um, and so I wonder for you, if your kids ask you, what does this meal mean to you? This sharing in the bread and wine. Um, I wonder what you would say. It's a really good question to think about. Uh, try to put it in words that a, a five-year-old could understand. Um, what, what does this meal mean to you? Um, I'd love you to think about your own answer to that question. Um, not only for your own kids, but for the other kids in the fellowship. If they ask you, um, what does this mean to you? Um, and just, just to finish, um, I want to give you maybe one attempt at a simple answer to that question. And uh, this is adapted from something I stole from somebody else, and I can't now remember who I stole it from, so I can't give credit. Um, but it's a really simple way to think about the meaning of the bread and wine uh, about looking in six different directions. And so this is something you could talk about with your kids uh, or with other people's kids. Um, so when someone asks me, what, what does this bread and wine mean? Um, I want to say this. It's about looking back and remembering the death of Jesus on the cross where his body was broken and his blood was poured out. So we remember those historical events that are the foundation of our faith. We remember Jesus, right? So it's about looking back I have no idea what direction to point in as I do these now. Well, I know for this one. Look in um, and examine our hearts to see if there's any sin we need to confess to God, anything from the past week uh, that we need to bring to God uh, as we come to share in the bread and wine. So there's, a, there's an opportunity for examining ourselves. And we don't need to be scared to do that because Jesus has dealt with our sin. And so we, we take a moment to look in and examine our hearts. Thirdly, we look up and realize that the risen Jesus is here with us as we share the bread and wine. Um, and I think that, that one is really important. Uh, sometimes we can get stuck in the first two uh, and not remember this one, that the risen Jesus is here. Um, for me, the, the key story there is the one at the end of Luke's gospel, where the disciples are walking along the road and they're discouraged and they're troubled by many things and the risen Jesus is walking along beside them but they don't recognize him, right? And that, that's a picture, I think, of you and I. We walk along in our lives and we're discouraged and distracted by many things and Jesus is with us but we forget. We don't recognize him. And then what happens in that story? 
as, as Jesus breaks bread with them, their eyes are opened and they realize he was with them all along. And I think that's always our hope and our prayer as we break bread, that our eyes get opened and we go, he was with me all along. He was with me all week and I forgot. I lost sight of him. And we, we look up and realize that the risen Jesus is with us. Fourthly, we look around and we realize that um, we all share the same bread and wine um, and we're, we're part of one body and one family. We share in the same grace and the same gospel. And so we recommit ourselves to love each other and to live in peace with each other. Um, and maybe especially during this current time, I think this one's really important. If you're sharing bread and wine in the center, take a moment to think of those who are sharing bread and wine at home. If you're at home, think of those in other homes and think of those who are in the center. Look around and remember, this is a family meal that we share. Uh, fifthly, look out um, into a world where people are spiritually hungry and thirsty. And we ask God to send us into the world to bring this gospel to our friends and neighbors. Right? We don't want to keep, keep this grace to ourselves. We want to give it away. And so we always want this meal to propel us out into the world with good news for the world. Um, and finally, uh, we look forward to the day when Jesus will return and make all things new and we will eat and drink with him in his father's kingdom. So we do this until he comes. So there's always that forward signpost uh, to his return. So that's for me. That's one very simple way. Uh, if a little child asks you, what, is, what does this bread and wine mean? There's, there's one way of talking about it, but I'd love to hear other ways that you may want to uh, think about uh, for yourself uh, in the week ahead. So let me pray for us as we finish. Um, and then we're going to um, share bread and wine together and Peter will lead us into that. Just after I pray, we're going to sing just a song in response uh, before we break bread. Um, Father, thank you so much for this really simple meal of bread and wine, which you have given us. Um, I want to thank you that no matter how long we follow Jesus for, um, we can be surprised again, we can be refreshed again, we can be um, just struck again by the beauty of this amazing grace in which we stand. Um, Father, I want to pray that the sharing in the bread and wine would not become for us something, an empty ritual that we go through, that it would not become for us something we mumble our way through, that it wouldn't become old, that it wouldn't become stale. Father, would you come by your spirit um, and again give to our, our sharing in this meal um, meaning and power and life, which comes from you. Um, thank you for the cross. Uh, thank you for what was won there, for what was done there for us and for the world. Um, help us never to take it for granted. Um, make us people overflowing with gratitude for your grace. Um, thank you, Jesus. Um, we pray in his name. Amen.